Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours. On this episode, I spoke with Walt Zink. Uh, Walt is a photographer and traveler. Walt and I have actually, we went to high school together and we've known each other for quite some time. And uh, he lives in Boston. Um, I'm here in Seacoast, New Hampshire. And we would bump into each other every once in a while while we'd go down there to go to movies. And we've been trying to trying to get together to chat for this podcast for a couple years talking about it um we've actually talked about getting together for my movie podcast as well because he's a big film fan as well but um uh over the past few months with uh with the global pandemic and then the quarantine um and then the the a lot of the protests going on in here in the u.s uh Walt's been traveling around uh, documenting uh, a lot of what's going on in the country with his photographs, and I thought it was Im- important to talk to him about you know his last couple months because he has a unique perspective on um, what's been going on in this country and in the world. So um, we didn't do it uh, in person. We did it over the phone, which... Um, is not ideal for this this format, but you know, with with health concerns and whatnot, I, I made the call to do it that way. But you know, I'd love to down the road sit down with with Walt face to face and do another chat. But I did did feel um, this was important to to chat with him about his experience now. So, and I appreciate him taking the time. He had just gotten back from uh, a trip to Philadelphia. Uh, you know less than 12 hours before. So, um, I, I definitely appreciate him uh, taking the time to talk to me and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Walt Zink. It's been, it's, it's certainly been like an interesting time in the world for everyone, but um, you've definitely had, I'd say, like a more more storied uh, past few months than most people that I know personally. Um, it, I mean, I know I know some of your story, but obviously, anyone listening to this is not necessarily so. Like, how did your uh, how did your uh, February and March start out. Um, well, I I've been overseas several times now. Yeah. Um, I I tend to go to places that are relatively speaking like they're affordable for me. Yep. I'm not making like a ton of money. Yet. Right. I'm doing all right for myself, but I, I budget stuff out pretty carefully. Yeah. Um, I last, I think it was like last May, I bought a flight to, to get over to Nepal, yep. and that that was gonna that was then that would end up being my fifth time over there. Yep. Uh, I, when was the first I, time you went there? Uh, Twenty eleven was the first time. Okay. Uh, the, this was the first time that I'd gone in March, March slash April. Yep. Normally, I actually go in October. Mm-hmm. October is a good month to go over there. Like for like mountains and everything, it's like good views, but it's peak season, so sometimes 
it can be tough to find rooms in like guest houses and whatnot. Peak seasons uh, as I, far as tourists being there. Yeah, um, it's they stay in the villages that are there. They're their villages like every couple of miles, basically, mm-hmm. and it's very basic. You know, go without a hot shower for a couple of weeks, it's fine. Yeah, yeah but they, you know, you stay if you stay there, you eat there as well. Uh, they they feed you. You know, they just. It's pretty pretty simple, yep. and uh, then you just pay the next morning, throw in a little extra for you know for a tip if you, for uh, you know how you felt about it, and then sure. you just go on your way for the next one. So I was going over there. It was um, like I said trip five. It was the third time I was going to be in the Everest region. Yep, and I, I was actually probably planning on it maybe in last time uh, I got over there just because I. I I've had thoughts of trying to leave the U.S. Uh, to possibly move overseas if if it's feasible, sure. And if, if there's anything viable, um, but I had to plan also to, to try to do some for the first time doing like a little project, like about uh, like basically taking portraits of the, some of the people that were over there. Yeah. Um. So bought that last May. I actually got a new job uh, towards the end of last year. Right up front, I let them know that I'd already booked all this, and they they said they would make it work. So I'm like, okay, you yep. know, as long as you're good, you work, then I'm all right with that. Yep. So uh, it was right towards the beginning of March is when I flew over, and I mean there were still definitely people that were concerned. Like they asked if I was worried about it. I'm like, no, I, I've been through a lot when I've traveled. Sure, I, I should be fine get over there and it was kind of funny you get to the Kathmandu airport and it's literally the worst international airport in the world it is really really bad oh it is awful in what ways uh, it's just the country in Nepal is on the as far as their economy yep. they're on par with Haiti Okay. Here, so and, and especially after the earthquake, every uh, the, the few years back, everybody kind of realized how poor Haiti really was. Sure. Uh, but they're on that same level, and they are the least developed country in Southeast Asia as well. Gotcha. So it's it's pretty rough. But uh, I entered in, and you get off, and it's not like going through a gate. Like you get off, it's like, and you, you walk outdoors inside actually inside of the airport so we walk in and I've done this several times but there was a guy like basically in a full on hazmat suit kind of spraying everybody all, uh, uh, with god knows what as we walk by and, oh spraying people and spraying just, people down yeah Damn. and I don't know if it was like sort of disinfected or what and like I managed to catch like a like a short little video of it right you know, then, then after that, take your temperature. So, like, all right, that's a nice welcome to, to the country. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just took a day, like, I, I arranged to get transportation out to where the trailheads were and everything. And then I start hiking. Like, I, I do everything on my own. I'm pretty used to it. Yeah. It was, like, a, a about, I'd say, like, seven, six, seven days right there and Maybe a little bit later, I found out that like shit was really hitting the fan here. Yeah. And uh, following day after that, I found out I got furloughed from my job. So I'm eight thousand miles away or whatever from home, and I'm like, all right, no work. Right. You know, and 
but um, decided to keep going. Yep. Then uh, I, I get to the area where uh, I purposely go there to, to kind of disconnect and get away. Yeah. Um, but I managed to actually remember that I, I mean, I really would normally not be like this, but I had forgotten to pay a bill mm-hmm. and I, I didn't want like a, I mean, it's stupid. I'm this far away. I didn't want to get a little ding on my credit. So I found, uh, like these little rechargeable or like, like whatever, like Wi-Fi cards. Yep. And you scratch off the back and there's a little code and you enter in like it's there and it's slow, but it's, you can connect sure. and the tourists there, you know, they, they feed on that. Like I normally just don't want to get one, but I was just like, I need to pay this bill. So I get one of them and I log on to Facebook and I immediately get all, all of these notifications from people like, Hey, you might want to get home as soon as possible. Yep. Uh, that level, level four travel advisory. Yeah. And so I had to make a decision. I, I had already been to Everest base camp twice. So I, I was only four days away from there and you know, it's so close, but I also don't really, you know, I have no idea if I'm going to be able to get back home. Sure. So I had to decide, but is it really worth it? And ultimately I'm like, I should turn around. Yep. It was two really long days to get back to the village yeah. uh, where you fly out of the do. And are you on foot this whole time primarily? What's that? Are you, you're traveling on foot, I'm assuming. It's hiking. Yeah, 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 that's what I thought. I'm hiking, and like I said, I do it on my own, and most, a lot of the people that, that are hiking over there, they'll have guides, and they'll have orders, too. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the idiot that I'm, I've got 50 pounds on my back and yeah. I'm just like, I'm like, this is great. You know, the entire time I'm also like, you know, dropping F-bombs under my breath. I'm like, I'm right. an idiot. Right. It's just, it's, cause it's physically an incredibly difficult thing. And it's, it's, you know, especially with the altitude and everything else, it becomes like a mental challenge as well. Right. So yeah, I was in this little village had to hike. It was a God. It was about nine miles back to the next uh, to the major village, and then the following day it was like almost another twelve miles. Yeah. So it was about I put things together. Those two days was about uh, probably about seventeen, eighteen hours of hiking. Yeah. In two days, and. Well, and what's the First terrain thing, you're hiking through like? For- ups and downs, like the entire time, practically was above 10,000 feet. Yeah. Uh, and the weather had not been good when I was there, so there was like a little bit of like like, like really slick, icy, and snowy trails. So yeah. You know, I'd have to be really careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not really used to that because in October, it's after the summer, so it's... It, that's that's another thing. It was for, for me. It was a fairly new experience with the weather. Yeah, um, I I had actually had to alter my original hike over there. I was going to do a there's a hike that's like going over three passes, and I've done that once before. I was going to do that again. Yeah, it, it ends up being like a, a twenty day hike. Oh wow! Um, 
but because I heard that the trails were like higher up, it's the snow had been pretty heavy. Yep. And it covers it covers some of the trails, so you have to be really careful. Especially there weren't a lot of hikers there. Yeah. And I don't want to be alone and mm-hmm. you know sixteen thousand feet up get lost. Yeah. So I I initially decided to avoid the doing the three passes and just do base camp and come back. Yep. So now it's because of everything that happened. I had to just around. Yeah. So managed to get back. I booked, I booked a flight out of that village back to Kathmandu, and I actually got there. And it, I ended up getting catching the, the literal last flight back to Kathmandu. Damn. So I, I had to book an, a, a flight from Kathmandu one way back to Boston, and I got my mom ended up helping me out with that just because internet connections and everything were so slow that she just was like, I, I gave her my credit card information. And she just helped me out. Yeah. Uh, just gave me the info. Uh, got back to Kathmandu, and I was supposed to fly back like three days, I think, after I got back. Yeah. So I had a couple days to kill. <laughs> for the hell of it, I scheduled a tattoo appointment. Right. I was like a kid that I've, I've gotten a tattoo from uh, there before. But then I I come get back to my hotel, and suddenly my flight disappeared. Hmm. I'm like, this is good. There's a Qatar Airways office there. Managed to get down there complete chaos because everybody's trying to get out of there. You're right. Uh, managed to catch a, a rebook flight for the very next day. And I'm like, okay, good. I should be all right. Just ready to get out, get home at this point because I have no idea what's going to happen. And then that flight disappears out of my, uh, from the app that I have. And I, I'm reading about lockdown the following day. Yeah. And, following morning got kicked out of my hotel room uh do kind of kind of panicked a little bit yeah uh why'd you I'm get used to this stuff why'd you get kicked out of the or was it just the end of the the stay that you had booked no i had one more night there and i was gonna just figure it out from there but uh i, I mean i was supposed to fly out initially the next day anyways so yeah uh, i yeah, the uh, people there really panicked because they, I mean, they have no idea what's coming. Sure. And a lot of the people that are there have families out in the outlying regions in, like, the mountains and everything. Yep. And so a ton of people just fled the city. And they're, they're including the people that ran the hotel. Okay. So that I was getting kicked out. So I'm just like trying to figure out what to do. Yep. Uh, eventually, through friends here, uh, one of them, his brother, lived over there. Runs a school that helps people with you know the families that are in like really poor areas, and like they send their kids there. It's like maybe their only opportunity to get an education. Yeah. Very, very rudimentary school. Lives off donations. Uh, the man that runs it. Uh, he used to be a Tibetan monk. Uh, him and his wife, and like they have family and uh, other people that actually help run it. So this guy, just on his motorbike, came out within about half an hour. Came, picked me up, and brought me out. And there's also a Spanish couple that they had volunteered there in the past, and then they also got in my situation. They got stuck, so they were staying there. And there was like most of the kids were had been sent home because of everything, but there were a few that, for whatever reason, couldn't get home. Yeah. So. There are about 15, 20 of us, something like that total. 
but these people were really nice, like three meals a day, you know, I, like they, they were just, they, I, I essentially became part of their family. Yeah. Um, but through all this, contacting the embassy and all that, and, you know, that's obviously the embassy there is pretty strained. Uh, they actually cut down like some of their staff that had been sent home. So they're working on like basically half as many people. And then they're dealing with all these people trying to get back home. Yep. Um, but I managed to catch the, uh, uh, I managed to catch the, I think they ended up doing two flights back, uh, repatriation flights. Yep. I got them for the first one and glad I did because the international airport, is still closed to flights. Um, and the so the country there is actually extremely corrupt and whatnot. That's part of the reason why I do a lot of stuff on my own is I don't book through agencies and whatnot because there's so many agencies they, they just take your money. Right. So suddenly these agencies are like, oh, we're going to get you home. This that and they're charging like twenty five hundred dollars for a flight back to the you know not even all the way back to where you're going. Yeah. And then they just kind of disappear with your money. Yeah. So it's, I would have rather have gone to the embassy. And I think that the cost ended up being covered by um, basically that first bill that passed through where everybody got that $1,200 check. But part of the, part of the money that was appropriated was actually for repatriating citizens back to the U.S. So, gotcha. Uh, our mutual friend Jason works for the government. Yep. He's been, he texted me. He had told me that he thinks that they were just going to write it off. I, I mean, I and it's now July, and I still haven't gotten a bill. Yep. You know, knock on wood. Right. But it, it's if I I had planned for it just in case, so I, I if I do get that bill eventually, like I can work it out and figure it out. Yep. But uh, yeah, I made it back home, and then I had to figure out. All right, so. I came home and it was almost like a different country I'd come home to, you know, sure. like only a month. It was pretty crazy. And you came but, back, uh, time frame wise, because I know everything's a little, time's kind of a weird construct right now. Um, when did you When did you get back? What was the date um, you got back into uh, the U.S.? April 2nd, I think, is okay. when I got home. Okay. So, and I had flown out of here, and there were, there were a lot of people that were giving me a hard time. Uh, about like, oh, well, you should have known that this something like this could have happened. I'm like, no, I don't have a crystal ball. Right. I mean, it's just, I took a roll of the dice. I'm an adult. I, I can accept responsibility. Yeah. It happens. But it's a global you know, pandemic. There's no way to know that that was coming. Exactly how bad it was going to get. Sure. Because, I mean, we, we had a pandemic in 2009, swine flu. But I think part of what made it worse is also now with with social media, it's so much different now mm. than even just 12 years ago that it's that's going to have a big effect on things too yeah but yeah it's, it's it was march i think 8th is when i flew out and then i think it was like eight or ten days later when in here in mass that everything got shut down yeah. and when i left it was like there were there was no there were no signs of that coming there's no way to know yeah um happens you know it's i managed to get through all that and get home so yeah. i'm okay good you know, it's i have no regrets for it and i would do it again yeah but then then it was uh having to adjust when i got back home and it was but um yeah and then 
obviously then uh, people were starting protesting the stay-at-home orders and everything like that. You know, that's... Then, and then of course, like then, now the protests we're seeing now, which is yeah. why I've been not seen around. Um, and it, that's been a trip in itself. You know, it's been like... Yeah, all, all of June, practically, I was on like uh, different forms of transportation to try to go places and, and to try, try to document like, things. And like for anybody out there that doesn't know me, like I've definitely worked pretty well, you know, worked hard to actually improve my photography over just the last few years. And Yeah. I mean, normally it's been either the travel photos or... The fight photos. Yeah, the fight photos. They'll be ringside fights, and yeah, I mean, you know, now it's completely different. It's for then, of course, it was May twenty fifth and George Floyd. Yeah, and, and the, the, just the entire country just—I mean, I think it was just a perfect storm with everybody being stuck at home. Yep, uh, uh, and then just this constant wave of like one killing a, of a black man or woman after another by the police and it, that's what ends up happening it's, yeah. uh, again if we were in the middle of a global pandemic I think yes there would have been protests but it wouldn't have been on the scale that we've seen now yeah but well I think a lot of it you know what you were saying you know definitely with social media but also with everyone you know the the bulk of not just the country, but the bulk of the world kind of not going about um, business as usual, but everyone kind of hunkered down. I think I think I think a lot of people are spending way more time on social media anyway. So it's kind of aware, you know, obviously black folks in this country have known for years about police brutality and violence. But uh, I think, you know, with videos being shared, a lot of other people are seeing really what it was. And I think that that kind of exacerbated and kind of ignited a lot of the protest as well. At least that's my take on it. But um, I don't know. You've, cause you went to what you went to DC, then Seattle and Philly. Uh, well, first they started, it was like the first weekend of them. I just decided to take my camera out here in Boston. Yeah. And, and I went to two different, um, well, actually three different marches yeah. over two days. And took some photos, and everybody seemed to respond pretty positively to them. So yeah. I just I started asking people, I'm like, hey, should I do something else? You know, another city. Yeah. So the first city was New York. Uh, I went to New York first, and then the very next weekend went to DC. Yeah, and then after that went to Seattle, and then I just got back from Philly, and actually in Seattle, uh, excuse me, uh, in Seattle. I just got a notification this morning on my phone that, uh, so I, two different nights that I was in Seattle, so everybody saw the, the Chaz or Chop region. Right. And I was there during the middle of that, and it was, it was just a complete mess when I was there. Yeah. Um, I, I was not very impressed by what I saw, and for, again, for people that don't know me very well, it's like, I'm. I'm an extremely liberal guy. Yeah. I'm all about like that stuff, but it was just, it was so far to the left on one stage, but also just this, this kind of chaos 
that yeah. these people, they, they were not going to be able to contain it. And it, and it's, it bubbled over on more than a few occasions that I witnessed firsthand. But outside of that, every night, it is, so they, they were occupying. Uh, they hadn't taken over. It was They'd occupied the area where the uh, city's eastern police precinct was. Yep. Uh, and the police just voluntarily abandoned it. They were the ones that boarded it up, and they took off. Yeah. Um, but every night at 8 o'clock, the kid, there were a group of kids there that organized a march from that precinct to the western precinct, which isn't actually too far away. Yeah. And they were, for the most part, a separate group. Okay. So, marched with them. I was actually very impressed with them because they kept uh, they kept their own under control. They kept them on message. But I just got a notification this morning that, so the two nights that I marched with them, they actually got to the western precinct right after that. The western precinct is located right next to Interstate 5. Yeah. So they... And, oh, and they stopped traffic the first night. The second night that I marched with them, the city had actually preemptively shut up down the, the highway. So the kids actually had free reign over the highway altogether, which is impressive. Yeah. So last night I heard, and apparently it was very late at night, though, which was kind of odd. Uh, they did the same thing. There was a different, it looks like it might have been a different march. Uh, because of the timeline, because they, they said it happened at like one thirty in the morning, which is again that's very bizarre for a, like a march. Yeah. But they, I recognize the the on ramp is the same ramp that we all use to get onto the highway. Uh, you see a white jaguar plow into the to to two people. Like one of them, I think, is in critical condition. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't care how inconvenienced people people are just like these people are stupid they're they shouldn't be blocking the highway this and that and i look at them at these same people and i'm like that's what martin luther king did right okay you, you know you, you love to laud martin luther king as this beacon of how things should be done but he did these same exact he used some of these same exact tactics yeah and it's picking and choosing just like everything else and i mean it's it's horrible uh, that was horrible like i couldn't I mean, they showed video. Somebody had taken video of it, and they literally stopped it as the person's hit. And I'm just, you know, it's no idea. I, like, hopefully that person's okay. I believe it's a young woman. Yeah. But it's, it's this, because of social media, because of, like, video and everything else, it's also exposing a lot of people for who they really are, too. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, it's pretty reprehensible how people are trying to, validate their own bigotry yeah and they hide behind you know basically just faux intellectualism to, to, to actually justify this this sense of bigotry and it's it's pretty disgusting yeah i've oh and i've seen a lot of kids that i've actually been impressed with and they're these are the same kids that uh, older generations are complaining about not doing something like responsible, like, hey, you need to actually take responsibility for your lives, this and that. And then when they actually do, these gen same people are like, no, no, not like that. Right. It's like, damn, both ways, guys. It's these, the, I've actually seen a lot of these kids and I've walked up to a few of them, told them flat out, and I'm, uh, I'm like, you should be proud of yourselves. Like, you're actually doing something good. You're on the right side of history. 
and I agree with this. Like yeah. it's I, I, at the same time, I am trying to be at least with the photography. I'm trying to be as objective as possible. Yeah. I mean, obviously, these are showing that one side, so there are going to be people that, no matter what I, I take photos of, they're going to tell me it's biased. And I'm like, you know, to a degree, yes, but I'm still trying to show people the reality of what is happening. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, I don't know how much longer. It's It definitely seems like it's they're, they're starting to slow down uh, nationwide. Yeah. Um, but as long as I'm out of work, uh, I'm going to try to keep, you know, also as financially viable as it is, I'm going to try to keep actually documenting all this. Yeah. How, um, when you were in, you know, I mean, all the cities, but I mean, Seattle, uh, specifically, how, how were people reacting to you, uh, doing the photography out there where people, fine with it or were you getting pushed back so so i definitely had to be careful in in seattle yeah uh especially in that shop area like there were signs in places like you know hey ask for permission if you before you take photos is that um whereas when i would when i would be out with the marches yeah there there would be a whole bunch of photographers and the the kids marching had no problem with it and like the problem, I, I, I mean, I've had people, you know, tell me, oh, you should blur out faces, this and that. I'm like, you know what? I I understand, like, even with what I'm doing, yeah. down the road, there might be people that, uh, there might be pictures of me out there. Yeah. And yeah, I'm completely okay with that. I'm, uh, I'm definitely taking a risk, because you've seen journalists, too, uh, uh, getting the crap beaten out of them by, by uh, the police in certain parts. Yeah. And I understand that, I mean, the, there are cameras everywhere. There are cameras every street corner. There are cameras in businesses. There's no way that I would be able to, to the, the police are going to find out who these people are. Right. And the funny thing is, so when I was in Philly, uh, there was a um, small camp that, Populated by by uh, some homeless people, yeah. and they were fighting the they were fighting the housing authority there because some of these people got kicked out of a home because it's just, it's just a mess around the country. And I sat with this one woman for a few few minutes, and she was discussing very frankly what was going on. And I, I put it to her, and a lot of people are going to hate when I say this, but she okay, she was a black woman. Yeah. I said this very bluntly, and a lot of People are going to dislike this, but it is there is some element of truth to it. The vast majority of people that were definitely paranoid about their, their faces being seen yeah. are other are other white people. Yeah, I mean there are a handful of like, but I'd say like over ninety percent of the people that were given me grief about it were other white people. Yeah, these are people that largely have clean records, have no problems, and they're trying to avoid it. And I get it. I don't want a record either. Sure. But when you go out, and, and this woman, right when I said that, she started clapping her hands, and she was just like, "Thank you, thank." You. Like she, she agreed with it. Yeah. Like she's, she had, like it's almost like she understood. She's like, "Okay, now you know what we have to deal with every day." Right. And it's it's this element like these people they they mean well, but they're still actually. They still actually don't understand the struggle that these black men and women have to deal with right. because they're trying to shield themselves from it. 
Right. And again, it's a, there are a lot of people that are going to dislike that I say that, but it is there is some level of truth to it. Yeah. I understand that I could be in trouble. I have no problem with it. I, but it's just it's this sense of paranoia. But at the same time, like a lot of these people that are telling me this, they when they leave that situation, they go home and it's like those problems melt away and they don't exist anymore. Right. And they want to keep it that way. Yeah. I, I get it that the police are mean and like they, they're, they're definitely, I mean, they're dicks, like a fair amount of them. And they are going to, you know, have acts of retribution against a lot of these protesters. But you step, when you step out there and you start doing these things, you have to understand that those are the things that could possibly happen. Right. I mean, same thing like bringing up MLK again. MLK has been, had been arrested and thrown in jail like how many times? Yep. And do you think do you think that he was going to try to get his face blurred out from photos and not, that he realized he wasn't going to draw attention? No, he understood the, that there were ramifications for the things that he was doing. Right. And he accepted them. Yeah. As did like a lot of other people in those in those times. And people now, I, I get it, the, the sense of paranoia, but it's part of the territory. Yeah. And people have to realize that. It's gonna happen. Yeah. Well, when I was in when I was in Seattle, especially though, I did the, as best I could to actually respect that. And for the most part, when I was in the chop area, just because now I don't want the trouble from like these people because these are people that I mean, you see them with a bunch of them with guns like right on their hips and everything, and and these are people that don't have don't have the same kind of training the police do. And right, I, I watch I watch them escalate situations that they should have de-escalated. Yeah. So I don't want the grief from them. I definitely was like walking on eggshells as far as my photography there, and I spent four days there, and I did not. I ended up not having any problems. So, yeah. but that that's like Seattle, kind of in a nutshell. And like when I was there, I, I said that that whole region wouldn't last. You know, I, I gave it two weeks tops, and it came pretty close. It lasted about another eleven days. Yeah. So. Yeah. Are you, um, and you, I know you just got back from Philly pretty late last night. Um, do you have plans to, to uh, go to any more cities? I know you're saying that a lot of the protests are kind of dissipating, so. I mean, I thought about, I thought about going to Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, but it's my friend there said that it's definitely quieted down quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, also, I thought of doing New York City a second time. Yeah. And. Uh, one of my friends there said definitely got quieter, but there's still stuff, especially on weekends, happening, and yeah. he, he takes part in it. Uh, a part of me just wants to take a weekend off and just relax for once. Absolutely. Uh, but I mean, that's, I'm going to be spending this week uh, probably just going through all the photos. Like I'm finally starting to get caught up. I, I really, I have almost everything done from Seattle, uh, and then I have the the photos from. Obviously, Philly and Philly. It was only one march that I, I was a part, and it was a Free Palestine slash anti-white supremacy march. Yeah, and uh, it's funny, like the the kids there that are Palestinian roots. I managed to you know just really quickly go through some, and I found like about two dozen that I that I threw up onto uh, Google Drive for them, and just sent them the link. And I mean, these kids, I mean, they were elated. 
I mean, they're they're super nice kids. Yeah. And people obviously they they see Free Palestine, they're like, oh, they're anti-Israel. And I'm like, no, you you can be pro-Palestinian and. And, and, and still be pro-Israel at the same time. But it's just right. the situation there is it's a very complex issue. I, I obviously don't have all the answers. I mean, I have my own personal feelings on it. I'm not going to even get into it just because it's like a hornet's nest. That sure. It just doesn't act a few times. Sure. Yeah. But uh, as far as next up, uh, maybe New York City again. Yep. Yeah, I have no idea. I have to really research it, but it seems like it—it it definitely is quieted down quite a bit. Yeah, and you still don't know exactly when you're going back to work, right? For your no, day job, uh, because I, I was like the new guy uh, there. Uh, I bartend, and we just started indoor dining uh, a little, almost two weeks ago now. Yeah, but at limited capacity. Um, but there's no bar seating, so with no bar seating, we don't need a, a bar staff with you know five, six, seven people. Right. So they don't have enough shifts to go around. So I'm the odd man out for the moment. So I'm, you know, the manager there just told me, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, you know, whenever we need you back, I'll give you about a week's heads up notice. Yeah. Uh, one of the bartenders, like a week before. The and she, when she texted me, she told me that me, I might be out of work until the end of the summer. So yeah. I may as well just try to make the best of it. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm doing okay financially, so I, I'm just. I think it's actually, uh, what, considering what's happening, I, I think it's actually not a bad thing. And yeah. I'm getting to document history, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So if someone uh, listening to this, uh, I know you're still you're still doing work on the photos and stuff, but if someone listening to this wants to take a look at, you know, the photos from this or any of your photography, because, I mean, you know, I've been, uh, obviously, you know, you and I have known each other for, you know, damn near 30 years at this point, but um, I've been a huge fan of your photography for, you know, several years now. So if someone wants to see uh, your photography, where can they, where can they check that out? Uh, the... Uh, I have the Facebook photography page, which is just facebook.com uh, slash just Walt Zink Photography, W-A-L-T-Z-I-N-K. Yeah. And that one is all one word. Yep. So that's all one word. But then uh, on Instagram, it's the same Walt Zink Photography, but in between the words are underscores. Underscores. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a small following. It's It's kind of funny. It's... I have this, such a mixed crowd of people that follow. A lot of, I'd say, two thirds of the people that follow are in the fight community. Yep. Which and they they like everything. Like then it's like I would get people that follow me because of the travel and like you know these beautiful mountains. And then they probably see these fight photos where somebody's just, I mean, blood flying and they're probably horrified. Right. You know, it's, I always have to put a disclaimer that I do take fight photos, so some of them may be pretty graphic. Sure. You know? uh, it's just a heads up, but uh, I use those two two areas primarily. Yeah. Uh, the, the Facebook page, there'll be full, full albums of photos, uh, whereas Instagram is obviously just one, one-offs. Right. Uh, I keep it too. And I, I, I post a fair amount on both, so yeah. they can... 
get a good update. It just depends on what's happening. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, like I said, I've been a fan of your photography for a while, but we I don't think we've ever really talked about, it. like, like how did you get into photography? How did you, how'd you start doing that? Uh, like the fight photography or? Or just any of it. Because, I mean, uh, for people listening, you know, you and I went to high school. Actually, we went to... I think we went to junior high school together too. Uh, uh, no, we went to high school. I, I didn't get to Exeter until high school. Okay. I, I got up there my sophomore year. Yeah. So yeah. So that would have been what ninety one, ninety two. So we've known each other like yeah. twenty eight years. Um, I mean, were you, were you into photography back then? I'm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't either. I wasn't. You know, I dabbled in art a little bit, but wasn't really pursuing it. Um, which is it, it was interesting. Yeah. I was thinking about this. This is a little side note. I was thinking about this earlier this week when, you know, I had reached out to you to chat and I was, uh, cause my earliest memory of you was you were, I think the first person who ever turned me on to public enemy. Um, uh, yeah, I think it was, uh, uh, was not fear of a black planet. The one after that, um, uh, the enemy strikes black. I remember, you having the cassette and having like it had a little fold out, not like a normal tape thing, but like a white piece of paper that had like all the lyrics, but also all this information. And I just remember in class you like pouring over it, like reading all the information, and just like you were talking about like all the you know all the um, social causes that the band was involved in, and I was just at that point, you know, because I had had a pretty sheltered upbringing, I had never heard of like a musical artist doing any of that and it just like it struck a chord with me so it was interesting with your photography and whatnot uh following the protests and whatnot that it kind of like was a through line of you've always been someone to me that's um uh, been concerned and very interested in struggles of people other than just yourself so that that was just kind of like a thought i had this week yeah. uh it's it's funny like they're they're the the group that I first listened to them like in 88 or 89 I think and yeah. like I was like 13 14 and not the I mean I wasn't really sheltered I guess like I, I had a pretty I could listen to pretty much what I wanted which yeah. was uh, kind of cool but it was then I listened to them and it was just all these names that they they, they said it was you know with, with Chuck D and I just had never heard these names before yeah. and I just on my own would just go out and I just was like, like I learned about the civil rights movement and people from that, you know, even before that from them. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Not from, school, not from school, but from them. Yeah. And I briefly got to meet Chuck D like 2004. Yeah. And I, and I got to actually tell him that and like, he was very gracious. Yeah. So, but, uh, the photography bit was so, and, I kind of got hooked on it when I'm. Oh, so I lived out in Vegas for about four years, from '98 to '02. Yeah. I also got involved in nightlife culture for a long time, and a friend of mine and I we ran a website that covered nightlife in Vegas. He was the guy that he designed the site, and he did, a, and I was the guy that would go out every night out of the week, pretty much. And so it was a nice excuse to go out and party, but sure. But I would bring. He had a, a camera that he would loan to me every so often, and I would, say, I would take some of the pictures for, you know, that we would include in articles on the website. Yep. And that's kind of what got me into it, and then got home, and I dabbled with it, and then probably 10 years ago, bought my night, first, like, nice camera. 
Yeah. Still didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, after a few trips, uh, I met a friend of mine that uh, he he just knows his stuff. Like, he's about as redneck as it gets, which is kind of funny. Like, he was born in northern Georgia, and, like, the way he puts it, his house had wheels when he was growing up. Like, mm-hmm. he already makes jokes at you know, his own expense about it. But he has this mind that, and it's kind of like me, like, we're, a lot of I don't read manuals and whatever to figure out how things work. I just kind of play with it and I figure it out on my own. Yeah. But he's like he's to a different level. So the photography stuff, he just started teaching me tricks about uh, like how to use use stuff, and it wasn't like a ton of stuff, but it was just like then I would pick his brain, and it just developed, and I just kept at it and kept you know the more I was doing it, the more I learned, the more yeah. I learned, the better I'm getting, and um. Then I would start upgrading my equipment and all that. And then as far as the fight stuff, uh, like I started getting into the sport of Muay Thai about seven years ago now. Yeah. And my coach wanted to help me because I had, I had had a travel photo published at that point, but my coach wanted to help me with like, you know, getting into fight photos. So he was the one that kind of stuck his neck out, got helped me get in touch with somebody yeah. About you know getting ringside fights, and then it worked out. And it just kind of exploded from there. You know, it was kind of cool. And it, it's just kind of grown. I just I'm still obviously learning. Yeah. Uh, it's little things, and I have no idea where it'll go. I don't I don't know if it'll turn into anything. But yeah. I mean, it's I've been sending some of these photos from the protests out to various media groups, and so far nothing. But it's honestly it was to be expected yeah. these media groups they, they they already have their own photographers they, they've got a lot they're dealing with as it is so it's it would be very naive of me to, to expect them to be like oh we should stop what we're doing and respond to this person right, so right. if it happens it happens, it happens. Yeah. You know, it's pretty cool. well and I mean regardless of anything like that you know you're you're creating a, a body of work of your own. So, you know, who, who knows in retrospect ha- how it'll be viewed and, and, and looked at, you know, I'm sure it'd be nice to have it um, published or anything like that, but it doesn't seem like that's your primary motivation, which I think is, you know, the sign of any true, true artist is just, you know, you're just documenting the world around you. So. Yeah. Yeah. I did, like, when I was in Seattle, I, I did have a friend that reached out to me on, on Facebook about, he runs, uh, he's part of, like, the leadership, so, like, some small, like, art gallery, I think, down in Rhode Island, and all of a sudden, just like, yeah, would you be interested in, like, us showing your stuff, like, sometime next year, and I'm like, I have no idea if that'll happen, actually happen, it's not a for sure thing, but I'm like, like, okay, I, I mean, I, cool, yeah, yeah it's, yeah, that would be kind of an interesting sort of thing. I'm trying not to, especially with this stuff. I, I don't want to really try to profit off of it because it's sure. and it's, then it seems kind of that. That's another thing that people have been kind of up. You know, they're like, "Are you making money off this? The, you know, off of other people and their struggle?" I'm like, "No, like I'm I'm spending money out of my own pocket." Like, yeah, I've had people offer to send me money and I've been refusing them. It's just it's as long as I can. I can afford it, and I can still pay my bill, my own bills at home, and, and keep roof over my head. I, I have no need for people to send me money. Like yes. Yeah. If it's down the road where people like say they want to put something together, document work, it, then I'll cross that road when I get to it. But right now, like I'm, 
I'm not worried about the money. It's just, yeah. It, but it is kind of cool. Like, you know, it'd be kind of weird to for random people to it, because it's like I saw that in Seattle with like all these people bringing cameras down and like taking pictures. Like they treated that area, the chop area, like a tourist attraction. Yeah. And it would definitely seem kind of bizarre to me, say, to have something in a gallery and then people coming in and gawking at it. it, it to me, it would almost be the same kind of thing. So yeah. it's like I have to, when I get to that road, I'll cross it. Yeah. I don't know. Right on. Yeah, I can, I can, I can understand and respect the, you know, the different dynamics of going into thinking about what and how you know that would be displayed so yeah for sure well man i uh i'm definitely glad you're back i'm glad you're safe and i'm glad you're doing what you're doing um i appreciate you taking the time to talk to me i appreciate you actually offering that's very nice of you yeah yeah um and you know looking forward to you know when it's a little bit calmer when not actually seeing you face to face again Absolutely, man. It's been too long. All right. And take care of yourself. All right. Have a good one, Walt. All right. Bye. All right. Bye.